Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. All right. Hello, old sports, and welcome to the Hello, Old Sports podcast on the Sports History Network. It's January, and that means that by the end of the month, the Baseball Writers Association will be announcing the inductees for the 2023 Hall of Fame class uh, inducted in Cooperstown this summer. They will join Fred McGriff, who has already been inducted by the latest iteration of the Veterans Committee, and we will talk a little bit about that committee and its votes at the end. But it's as has become an annual tradition here on the Hello Old Sports podcast. We want to just get on a little bit and talk to you about this year's writer's ballot and how we think it should go and how we think it will go. And those two things aren't necessarily the same thing. I am your co-host, Dan Newman, and I am joined as always by my brother, my co-host, Andrew Newman. And Andrew, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing all right, Dan. Like you said, we've done this a couple of times already, so I managed to go through my notebook and find my notes from this episode last year just to make sure I could keep consistent on uh, some of the things I said, and that way I also didn't have to do quite as much research on some of these guys. But um, I will uh, I will use my usual caveat that I've done the last two years and I will do again, which is this is always one where you have to separate how much you like how much i like the baseball hall of fame the physical place in cooperstown and obviously we had an experience this year where we got to go to the induction ceremony and see some of the plaques put up and and go to the press conference and all that and sort of divorce that from how annoying this process can be sometimes and i don't even mean just the steroids but just sort of the highfalutin nature of a lot of the people who get to vote on these sort of things it's a fun debate, but you know, sometimes it, like I said, and I know I say it every year and I will say every year, I just got to kind of separate that out from the actual building of the hall of fame. Yeah. You're not the biggest fan. And I don't know if anybody's a big fan of how this is done, but you're especially sort of sour on the way this is done with the, the, the writers and the media playing such a central role in it. I don't even know. I, I think they're, well, I don't have a problem with the media playing a role in it. And I, I don't, I'm not one of these people who says like, Oh, the players should vote because the players don't necessarily know. I don't understand why it's still so specific to no, it has to be writers. It can't be people who call these games. Cause like, you know, a hundred years ago, they were the ones who served the obviously not a hundred years ago, but they were the ones who saw all the games. And I think they should still be a part of it, but they shouldn't have this monopoly on it. But they can at least be less obnoxious about it, is my general point. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. And I, you're right. They should add in broadcasters, whether it's TV or radio, because especially with sort of the, the changes in the media landscape over the last several years, the broadcasters are the ones who are seeing these players on a day in and day out basis in a way that 
a lot of writers even don't. So that's that. I also think we're in agreement that, and I don't even know how serious this is ever discussed, how seriously this is ever mentioned, but it is not something that should be left solely up to the fans. So you do need some sort of expertise somewhere in there. This should not be a fan vote. Oh, the fan shouldn't have any role in it. I I, I, I don't think the fan, the fan shouldn't have any role in it. I, I think you need experts for lack of a better word, but the problem is they all are very aware that they are considered experts. I wouldn't mind a rock and roll hall of fame type thing where the fans got to vote and then the entire fan vote is counted as one vote. So if like, I don't know how many, a couple hundred people vote for the rock and roll hall of fame. One of those votes is the aggregate of all of the fan votes. And I don't know, maybe if you have to hit a percentage threshold to, to get that vote, that specific part of it, I don't know how it works, but if you want to give the fans a very, very minor piece of it, just to say you did it, give the fans some, a way to a, sort of officially make their voice known. I wouldn't have a big problem with that, but yes, fan vote for most things does not, not tend to turn out very well. But so I actually kind of like the current system and that somebody, you know, journalists or that world tends to vote and then they get their first pass at it. And then it's the veterans committee who kind of comes in afterwards and does any cleanup that needs to take place. I don't know that necessarily the current makeup and the current exact system of doing it is the ideal system. But I think sort of this two-tiered system, the way they have it set up, generally speaking, philosophically, is probably the right way to go about it. Yeah, I think you're right. I I don't think the whole system should be overhauled. I just, you know, there's just certain certain parts of it every year just get very, uh, I don't know, they just, some of these people, they're very, very pleased with themselves and the work they do. Yes, agreed. So why don't we go ahead and I will read the names of the ballot as I do every year. I will read first the names of those who have previously been been on the ballot but have not received the 75% needed to be elected, nor have they gone below the 5% threshold that would have them removed from the ballot. There are 14 such former major leaguers, and those are Scott Rowland, Todd Helton, Billy Wagner, Andrew Jones, Gary Sheffield, Alex Rodriguez, Jeff Kent, Manny Ramirez, Omar Vizquel, Andy Pettit, Jimmy Rollins, Bobby Abreu, Mark Burley, and Tory Hunter. And then there are an additional 14 players who are on the ballot for the first time this year, and those are Carlos Beltran, John Lackey, Jared Weaver, Jacoby Ellsbury, Matt Kane, Johnny Peralta, Jason Wirth, J.J. Hardy, Mike Napoli, Bronson Arroyo, R.A. Dickey, Francisco Rodriguez, Andre Ethier, and Lock Houston, Houston Street. Yeah, it's some of these guys who get in at the very bottom, I think, basically... I think basically if you play 10 years, you're almost guaranteed a spot on the ballot, at least the first time I, I there, I'm sure there's some additional thresholds that have to be made, but it's always comical. First of all, to see who some of these guys are 
And second of all, to see the fact that most of them will get at least a vote or two and you don't never know whether that's a courtesy or whether somebody truly does think that Andre Ethier is a Hall of Famer. I know there was a story one time where a guy voted for a guy. I think the story was like a guy was really nice to a writer's kids in the locker room or something. And he said, well, if if I ever get a chance to vote for you for the Hall of Fame, I will. And then sure enough, 14 years later or whatever it was that that opportunity <laughs> arose. So it is always interesting to see who gets a vote or two from the writer's ballot. The ballot is very different this year. Last year, the big point of conversation was David Ortiz. Would he get in based on his uh, whether it was his steroid past or the fact that he had primarily been a DH? He did get in. He got voted in not overwhelmingly, but with a solid vote total. And then sort of the big three of Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens and Kurt Schilling, whether any of those would get in all came relatively close, did not get in. All three of those are now off the ballot. They were considered by the Veterans Committee, which we'll talk about a little at the end here. So it is a very different ballot this year because the four guys who were the top vote getters and the main points of conversation last year are gone. Yeah, because a lot of them were in their last year of eligibility, and obviously Ortiz did get in. So it's a ballot where... Thankfully, when you talk about the existing guys, really with the exception of A-Rod, and nothing's going to change there, most of these guys, we can debate their baseball careers. You know what I mean? It's Was, was this guy good enough to get in? And we don't have to go, well, he was on this list, but he never actually tested positive. Well, I think there's one other that we'll get to. But um, why don't we start off? And I think um, the way we've done this in previous years is for you to just sort of give me your list. And I will say uh, yes or no. We can talk about it a little bit. And then when when time is up or when you're done, I should say, and uh, then we'll we'll move on. And I can tell you if there's anybody that was on my list that you didn't have. So who was uh, who was your first uh, who got you? And you can vote for up. The writers are able to vote for up to 10. So we held ourselves to that same rule, although I didn't have 10. I had, I think at the end of the day, I had seven. So. We, I don't think you probably didn't vote for over 10, so I think we're probably in pretty good shape there. No, I think I have five on my list this year. I guess six technically, but I'll explain why kind of five. So for the third year in a row, I have Scott Rowland on there. I do believe he will get in. He was the top vote getter last year who didn't get in with 63%. Or he's the top guy remaining. Uh, he had 63% of the vote last year. Um, should I just be listing names or should I explain any of them? No, give me your explanation. We'll go back and forth sort of guy by guy. All right. So Roland was a seven-time All-Star, eight-time Gold Glove. Uh, he won the Rookie of the Year. He had a very, very long career. Um, he was in the league for 17 seasons. He had those early years with Philadelphia and then St. Louis and then bounced around a little at the end, Toronto, Cincinnati. Um, but, you know, really from maybe 1995 to about 2006, somewhere in there, he was a perennial all-star. If you look at sort of the uh, metrics that baseball reference has is like their advanced metrics for Hall of Fame uh, cases, he's up there. He's got the highest war of any guy who's been on the ballot outside of obvious steroid guys like a rod. He's got the highest war of anybody who's been on the ballot for 
a number of years and is not yet in. So I did think that Roland gets in. It seems like the momentum is heading your way or heading his way where he will get in. And you did convince me. I think you, along with his very high totals of votes for the last couple of years, obviously short of the 75, but the fact that he has been steadily climbing, I did have him on my ballot this year. I still don't necessarily love the vote. I the the guy played 17 seasons and he still got just over 2000 hits. So this was not a guy who was a paragon of offensive production in his career. Not a great power hitter. He yeah, he had, you know, he had in the 30s or 20s. The career high in home runs was 34. What's his career batting average? 281. He's he's sort of good in a lot of categories, good to very good in a lot of categories, but not great in any of them. The eight gold gloves, I do think kind and the, the eight gold gloves combined with some very good offensive production. I will not cry any tears if Scott Rowland does not make it into the Baseball Hall of Fame, but. I think partially based on our conversation last year and partially based on what seems to be the direction things are going in, I I did put Roland on my ballot. All right. Next, I have Todd Helton. I voted for him as well. Last year, he was on my list. I I might have originally sort of undervalued him based on playing his entire career in in Colorado. And, And I don't just mean that from an offensive standpoint. I more just mean it from... It's the Rockies. They play in the NL. They're out West. They're not usually very good. I don't think a lot about them, although obviously he was on the team that made the World Series. He had a five-year period from 2000, or from 1999 to 2004 where he had over 100 RBIs every year. Uh, a couple of years, he was up about around 140. And then I gave this stat again last year, but I'll give it again. He, There are 11 players with five plus or with five seasons or more of a 1.00 or more OPS. Seven of them are in the Hall of Fame, and the other three are Manny, Bonds, and McGuire, who are just not in because of steroid allegations. And then the 11th one is Helton. So unless you're really discounting his performance because he played his home games at Coors Field, his numbers put him in even if, you know, the argument I don't like because when people say like, "Oh, what's the most famous Todd Helton moment of all time?" Like, well, that you can't. I mean, a there might be one, and I'm just not thinking of it. But b like, that's an arbitrary thing to bring up. I don't necessarily feel that it's arbitrary because I think that a great all time player, one of the ways to get there is to come up big in big spots, to have great moments. Helton didn't really do either of those things. Now, he was on the team in 2007 when they made it to the That's World Series. I said 06, I meant 07. Well, he was on the team in 07 when they made it to the World Series. So it's not like he was never a part of any decent teams in Colorado. The best team they've ever had, he was a part of. 372 batting average in the year 2000. He also led the league in... RBIs that same year with 147 RBIs so and 42 home runs. So that is 
damn close to a triple crown year. He actually was like eighth in home runs in 2000 in the National League because so many guys were up there in the high 40s, low 50s. So I could not get there with Helton. I couldn't get him there with him last year. Maybe I do sort of overestimate how much Coors Field went. Maybe I undervalue or maybe I overvalue, I should say, the fact that you can't really have a good, you know, there's not a there's not a clutch moment. There's not a clutch season. There's not a time when he was so I, I a should point out in baseball. And I didn't know this, but I should point out that because I, I was just looking it up that he had in um late September of 07, he had a two run walk off home run that kept them alive for the wild card that they ultimately ended up getting because they went on that insane streak. So, I mean, we don't really remember it, but I mean, it's not that it, there was never a, now you can say, oh, it was it wasn't a world city was a home run to keep them alive for a wild card they ultimately won but you know there there is at least one sort of big clutch moment that i feel like you should mention i i and this is why i'm so i'm not good at this because i'm like i can it's hard for me to like quantify you know things like this i can just kind of look and go well a lot of people seem to have voted for him i look at the numbers it certainly seems like he was you know guys with his numbers usually get it in. So, but you're right. I, I don't particularly feel that he will be historically wronged if he's not in the hall of fame. And I think that's the case for a lot of these guys. And, you know, but again, you know, some of the writers probably don't know any more about how to vote on this type of thing than you or I do. So that's kind of part of the fun of it. I feel like is to, you know, you and I bring different perspectives between the two of us and also probably, represent some of the differing perspectives that come at it from the um you know fr- from the writers and the people actually doing the voting so all right i'm with you on roland i'm not with you on helton who who did you have next so the next one and he's not third in terms of priority it's just third in terms of there's really no reason to discuss this i have a rod in obviously i would i would put a rod in i think it's you know we've covered the steroid stuff ad nauseum over the years. I think he belongs in the Hall of Fame. I think plenty of other guys who did steroids belong in the Hall of Fame too, but he's still on the regular ballot. So if I was voting, I would be voting for him. I said last year I would have voted for Bonds and Clemens, and this year I'm saying I would vote for A-Rod. Three-time MVP. All three of his MVP, or no, I'm sorry, two of his MVPs were with the Yankees. Uh, 2003, his last year in Texas, he was MVP. 696 career home runs. Adjusted mid-career to playing an entirely different position. He moved from shortstop to third base when he was traded to the Yankees because obviously Derek Jeter was already entrenched as the Yankee third baseman, or sorry, as the Yankee shortstop. Led the made led the league in homers five times, led the majors in homers three times, had some really, really good years during those sort of purgatory years that he was in Texas, and then very much continued that trend in New York. Didn't have a great first year with the Yankees. He was a little bit subpar, but then 2005, his second year with the team, he bounced right back. 48 home runs led the league, 130 RBIs, and a 321 batting average. Won a batting title at 20 years of age with Seattle in 1996, which was 
not technically his rookie year, but it was his first full year with the team. That was the year that Jeter was a rookie and Jeter won MVP. And everybody said that, you know, the only reason that Jeter won MVP was because A-Rod had played just a few too many games in 95 to qualify as the rookie of the year. The other thing that I think is worth noting that is even though he was really bad in the postseason for the Yankees or did not come up clutch in his first couple of years, you know, 04, 05, 06, in 2009, excellent in that 2009 postseason, they probably don't win that world championship if it's not for him. Yeah, he didn't. He cooled off in the World Series, but he was really, really good for them. And uh, he was really, really good for them in the divisional round. I think he won like I'm going to see if I can pull this up, but I think he won two of those games pretty much on like walk offs or big hits. And then he was really good in the American League Series too, uh, the American League Championship Series. So, yeah, oh, nine. He was let's see. He hit 455 in the divisional round. He hit 429 in the American League Championship Series. He had uh, two home runs and six RBIs in the ALDS. He had three home runs and six RBIs in the ALCS. The World Series, he was, I mean, he hit 250. It wasn't like he was horrible, but um, man, the one thing you do is you look, you, you think that, and this is not, I mean, Truthfully, the case for him as a Hall of Famer is the guy's got 700-something home runs. He's a Hall of Famer. But um, you would think that maybe he would have got the monkey off his back after 09. Like, oh, he had this great postseason. They won a ring. But then Was he bad that, again? He, so 2010 in the DS, he hit 273. And then his last four playoff series... 2010 CS 190, 11 DS 111, 12 DS 125, 12 CS 111, and then zero in the 15 wild card game. And so. un- unfortunately for him, he really sort of beclowned himself later in his career with the the whole thing with the buy in the evidence. And to a certain extent, it was wrong that he was suspended for as long as he was because the commissioner sort of went outside the the framework of the rules to suspend him for as long as he did. But he ended up, you know, he sued the team. He sued the league. I think he sued the players association either. Also, he just was just a total jerk and dishonest and everything else for, for way too long. Remember he stormed out of a court hearing and showed up on Mike Francesa claiming he never did steroids, even though there was ample evidence to the fact that he had done so in the past on several occasions over several years. So, I almost think that I don't think he's a Hall of Famer anyway once or I think he's a Hall of Famer, but I don't think he gets the votes as soon as this these revelations started based on how things have gone. But he didn't do himself any favors over the course of the later part of his career with some of his, shall we say, antics. Yeah, and I mean, I, I he's not going to get in, but I'm, you know, he should. He's He's probably, you know. He probably won't get what did he get last year? Percentage of the vote. Did they say what he got last year? Uh, last year, he got thirty four point three. He's not going to get. I mean, the highest he's ever going to get is 50. And I probably he might be topped out like, you know what I mean? So he's tracking at forty two point oh right now. And as we discussed last year, it tends to be about 10 percent lower because the guys who submit their ballots tend to be the ones who are a little younger, or a little more permissive in their allowing for steroid guys. So 
yeah, he looks like he's going to be about the same once all the ballots are counted. So I'm so, with you there, even though the writers not uh, a lot of the writers uh, certainly aren't. So while we're on that, I'll just mention two guys in Sheffield and Manny Ramirez, who all things even I would probably vote for, but I can't put either of those guys in if Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens aren't in yet. Yeah, I didn't vote for Sheffield. I don't think I voted for him last year either. I don't know what Sheffield's career uh, home run numbers are. To me, Manny, because in addition to all the power, he was such a batting average guy. I find it hard to keep him away. So they're very similar in home runs. Sheffield 509, Manny 555. Manny is 20 points higher in batting average, 312 versus 292. I do find sort of big moments and con- contributions to winning teams important. And so the fact that Manny was a key player on those two Red, so- Red Sox championship teams in, in 07 and 04, I do sort of have that count for something. Neither guy ever won an MVP. Sheffield did win a title very early in his career in 97 with that Marlin team with that was sort of a hodgepodge one-year wonder. Maybe it's a little bit inconsistent for me to have Manny on my ballot and not Sheffield, but I did vote for Manny. I didn't vote for Sheffield. In a lot of ways, Manny almost might have made more of a clown of himself with some of his the steroid antics. And then didn't he didn't he sign with the Devil Rays in like 2010 and play five games and then retire? But then, or uh, 2011. But then I thought there was also a rumor that he did, was it just a rumor that he retired because of a failed drug test, or did was that actually? I mean, I don't think he ever, the only way it would be anything more than a rumor would be if he came out and said, yes, that's why I retired. Uh, well, no, if they announced he had a, a a positive test and then he just immediately retired instead of serving the suspension. I'll look that uh, up real quick. So in September 2011, reports surfaced that Ramirez was planning on playing in the Dominican Winter League for the Ciabo Eagles. The team said that Ramirez hoped to motivate other MLB stars MLB commissioner's office issued a statement that since the Dominican league was affiliated with MLB, he was not eligible to play without serving his mandated suspension, which had happened the year before he played like a week worth of games with the devil rays. It was one for 17. And then later in the year after he'd retired, MLB issued a statement saying that he had been informed of the issue and that he chose to retire rather than continue with the appeal process and he was facing a hundred game suspension. So if Manny Ramirez ever decides he wants to come back and play major league baseball, if he ever does a mini Minoso, he will have to serve a hundred game suspension. So owners looking to have some sort of a gimmick, keep that in mind. So yeah, he was I, playing major league baseball as recently as 2017 in China. <laughs> they, they don't honor our suspensions, I guess. I don't think so. <laughs> um, yeah, he, God, he was in, he was in a couple of different, isn't it? A's system, the Rangers system. He was like playing minor league baseball, like not that long ago. Like even with his, that suspension, or did, did the suspension somehow get lifted? I maybe he served the suspension. Um, oh yeah, so on February twentieth, twenty twelve, he signed with the A's. He had to serve his fifty game suspension. He did that. He started playing on May thirtieth of twenty twelve with the Sacramento river cats on June 15th, Ramirez requested and was given his outright release by the A's. So he played for like what, two weeks. And they probably told him like, we're not bringing you up 
And he's like, all right, well, I'm just going to leave. <laughs> um, which, I mean, I, that's not unreasonable that he didn't want to just keep playing for Sacramento. Yeah, no, I agree. I just, so, I, I've always just thought of him as a really dangerous hitter. And I, it, and everybody thinks of him as a Red Sox, but he was also a big player on those Cleveland Indian teams yeah. that that hundred that Cleveland Indian team that won a hundred games in what was that a hundred and forty game season in ninety five the the year after the lockout that was sort of his first full season so he was a really good offensive player on some really good offensive teams ninety nine was his he was still with Cleveland and then in two thousand one he signed with the Red Sox but here are his averages three thirty three three fifty one three oh six oh two was three forty nine in a batting title. 325 the following year and home run totals in the 40s. You know, you got 45, 44, 41, 43, 45. So really just a MVP of the 2004 World Series, their first World Series title in 86 years. Again, maybe it shouldn't count for anything. I think it does count for something. So to me, if you're going to put the steroid stuff aside, Manny Ramirez has got to be in the Hall of Fame. I absolutely agree with you, but I just I, I'm worried we're heading towards it. Well, listen, we're not putting any of the steroid guys in unless they were on the 04 Red Sox. Then they can go. <laughs> then they're and that's I'm I'm serious. I, I the scenario where David Ortiz and Manny Ramirez get in the Hall of Fame, and then nobody else. A Rod Bonds, Clemens, none of them will. But those two, well, they were on the 04 Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Schilling too, right? They can put Schilling in. Uh, I mean, that's a whole other thing, which we'll talk about he's not as much of us we've talked about we'll we'll get to him on the veterans ballot i just meant more because he was no for red sack all right who's next so i'm gonna move now to my two first year guys i put beltran and k-rod both in beltran has a very he's got 435 career home runs he was a nine-time all-star he had if you want to talk about moments, he had a postseason in 2004 that's about as insane as anybody has ever had. That once he was on Houston for like half a year, he hit in the two respective series, he hit 455 and 417, four home runs in both series each, 14 RBIs in those games. Played, you know, was with the Mets, was with the Cardinals, played in a lot of postseason series. I know it lends itself now to, well, he was on that Astros team with the sign stealing. Where do we draw the line with that? And as bad as that was, and you know, I think as a Yankee fan, we're allowed to be critical of that. That's so total. Even if I grant the steroids argument, that we'd be admitting now that this was a punishment. I thought the argument all along with the steroids and in the with not putting the steroid guys in is we don't know how good they would have been without the steroids. If you're not going to put him in because he stole signs in 2017, we can say, well, then you're just saying you're doing it punitively. Yeah, and I do think there's a morality thing to it. Some people take it as, well, they just wouldn't have been as good, and who knows? Other people take it as more of it. With the steroid guys, I'm talking about it. Well, they cheated baseball. It seems like every year we do this, we talk about this steroid stuff, and in some ways it's unavoidable. One of the issues with steroids is that it is not right or fair that players have to make that decision to do them if they want to make the major leagues, 
get a higher contract once they're in the major leagues, break records, do whatever, because steroids can be very, very dangerous. You know, Ken Caminiti probably lost his life due in large part to steroids. You hear stories about high school baseball students who commit suicide because the effects of the steroids they're taking are too much for their bodies to take. It's not just sort of, well, they cheated and they added 10 feet. It's what they had to do. And so I understand, even though now I think we're sort of should be past that point, we should let these guys in the Hall of Fame and just be done with it. I understand sort of the moral argument. There's not really a moral argument against stealing signs. It's not a good thing to do when the guys who do it should be punished. But if we're going to start getting into kind of on-field cheating when Gaylord Perry is in the Hall of Fame, when Leo DeRocher is in the Hall of Fame and the Giants were stealing signs throughout the 51 pennant race, when all of these things that are on the field things that have no impact on society as a whole. That's and especially if you really want to nitpick with Beltran, the fact that he did it towards the tail end of his career when he was basically kind of a part-time player for those 17 Astros teams. That to me is that is a weak argument. Yeah, no, and, and I, I truthfully I haven't seen anybody make that argument. I've have seen you? there have been people that said uh, that have said I can't go there with Beltran. There have been. There absolutely see, and been. that's the yeah. that's the kind of thing where people are that, that I get annoyed about. It's like, oh, I, and look, I'm I'm not hand waving that scandal. The I think they screwed. I think the Yankees would have won the pennant that year if you know if that hadn't been going on. They lost all four games. And, you know, I'm not somebody who's like, oh, who cares? That's like they deserve to get punished for that. Guys don't deserve to not make the Hall of Fame because they did that as a pure, like tw- at the end of a 20 year career. So, Beltran, I think, I mean, if you look at the stretch he had for about a 10 year period from maybe 99 to 08, like right as he started in the league, he was the rookie of the year in 99. And then he put up some great years with, you know, those bad Royal teams before he made the jump to Houston for that half a year. And then, you know, his best years were probably with the Mets. You know, you look at his years with the Mets and 05, I guess he was hurt a little bit. I don't know, he played most of the year. He just didn't have a great year, but, you know, he didn't have a great year from a power standpoint, but he had a five-year run with the Mets where his home runs were 41, 33, 27, or three years, I guess. 116 RBIs, 112 RBIs, 112 RBIs. His last four years in Kansas City, 24, 29, 26, 38, all in the one, just over 100 in RBIs. He was a career 279 hitter as well. So, you know, at a time when guys who are power hitters are lucky to hit 240, he had a, a damn near 280 batting average. So I, I, I think he was good enough, long enough that, that he's pretty clearly a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. I agree. I did put him on there. I think that there is maybe to a certain degree a little bit of an on-field argument in the fact that he... He didn't win a championship till his very last year. So all those Met teams that he was the leader of were underachievers, never really led the league in anything. The only thing that he led the league in was games played one time with 162, which I'd imagine he's not the only one. You're right. He had that amazing postseason in 04 for the Astros when he was a midseason acquisition. Career batting average well under 300. You know, he's in the 270s. So maybe that's not well under 300, but he's not a 300 hitter. So... He's not a slam dunk, 
But if you're keeping him out because of sign stealing, like I said, when it wasn't even the prime of his career, I, I just don't see how you can do that. I, I'm a, I'm in agreement with you. I did have Beltran. K-Rod's an interesting one. I did not have him on my ballot, but I don't think it's taking very long for you to convince me that he should be on there. He's fourth all time in saves. He had some mm-hmm. dominant years very early on, including he, he was kind of he won a World Series with the Anaheim Angels in 2002. He didn't pitch much in the regular season, but I feel like I remember him. What did he do in that postseason? Because I feel like he did pitch a decent amount in that postseason. Yeah, he. I don't even know if he was the closer that year. I think that was like his first year that he came up. That was kind of his Mariano Rivera year. In 02, he no, 02, he only pitched in five games. No, I mean in the postseason. I'm oh, saying he was like... Yeah, yeah. But, but by the postseason, he's basically appearing in... He mm-hmm. he he pitches in th- he pitches in three games with a two and zero. Oh, okay, he this guy wins wins five games in the O two postseason as a relief pitcher, as a rookie. Mm-hmm. He wins as many games in that O two postseason as he had pitched in in his whole major league career going into that postseason. <laughs> so yeah, no no saves, but five wins, five wins. That's really impressive. What's his ERA? His ERA for that postseason is. Let me see if I can get that here real quick. Um, nah, I'm having a hard time getting it just for that that 2 postseason. But yeah, so really a really, really good 2002 postseason where they're basically going to the guy basically every game. So he's fourth all time in saves. Maybe didn't have quite the longevity that some of the other great closers did. Obviously Rivera, Gossage, those types of guys. But yeah, I had not thought of him, but it really doesn't take much for you to convince me. Now, I don't think he will get in. He's currently polling at 9.3, but I he'd get my vote. He's fourth in saves all time. The three guys above him are all in the Hall of Fame. Hoffman, Moe, Lee Smith. He's got the single season record for saves by a lot. He's got 67 saves. The next closest guys have 50, or he's got he had 62 in a year. The next closest guys have 57, which to me is a big jump that nobody's ever come that close in the past. He's a six-time All-Star. He won the rookie, he won the reliever of the year in 06 and 08. The knock on him outside of that 02 season, he was bad in the postseason as the closer. I looked it up by the way. Troy Percival was the closer for that's uh, right. That's right. For the for the Angels that year, famously only had one pitch available in Triple Play '98 for PlayStation, but it was like on it was like a hundred three mile an hour fastball. So um, I remember but, uh, that. I just think okay, now that the dam is broken on closers, and by the way, I had Billy Wagner on my um, list last year. I slid him off this year in favor of K Rod, just so to put one. Uh, you know, I figured, all right, we're definitely not putting two closers in at the same time. So I'll give Billy Wagner still got two more years of eligibility. So I went with K-Rod. But um, I just think if we're going to put closers in, we got to put one of the best closers of all time in, even if it's a, you know, it's not, even if the longevity is not there necessarily. Yeah. And I got to call out a little bit of hypocrisy there. First of all, I remembered you taking Wagner last year and I gave him a really hard look. I couldn't quite get there, but I, I kind of understand his case more now that you raised it last year. I got to call out a little bit of hypocrisy here. When Mariano Rivera made it, 
he, wasn't he the first guy ever unanimously elected? Or was yeah. that G, was that Jeter the following year? No, Rivera oh, was Rivera unanimous. did it. You're right. Rivera did it. Everybody made it seem like he was this slam dunk. He's going to be the first. He, you know, he he revolutionized the position. He, you know, Mariano Rivera, he's one of the greatest baseball players of all time. And I agree that he revolutionized the position. But you can't sort of on one hand say you revolutionized the position and then a few years later give one of his successors in that revolutionized position 9% or less of the vote. It's like if the position means something, can it really only mean something for Mariano Rivera? And that's why I don't agree with how they're. I was surprised when you said it was only 9%. I wasn't expecting him to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I, I think they're tacked on this. And I know they put a few other guys in, but it's going to be like, we're going to always lean against voting for a closer unless he's above and beyond. And I think it's a little bit of an arbitrary distinction to make because Mariano Rivera was the greatest closer of all time and what he did for how long he did. But at any given time, there were usually a couple of guys in that same orbit as him. Now they may not have been, it wasn't the same guys for the, for the same amount of time, but like, I think I don't think them putting Rivera in unanimously represented a fundamental change in how those guys look at closers. I think it I think it shows they were willing to break how they look at closers for Mariano Rivera. Yeah, and I guess I just let's I don't want to denigrate Mariano Rivera by any means, but it's not like the guy didn't blow big games in the playoffs. He saved a lot of them too, but you know, he blew the 04 ALCS he blew the 01 World Series. He blew the 97 ALDS with that uh, Sandy Alomar homer. So the idea that he was just this lights out perfect every single time pitcher in the postseason is just not correct. So, yes, I'm I'm a big Rivera guy, but I think it's weird to give him so much love and then so little in the way of votes for his successor. So, yeah. I had K-Rod. Anybody else for you? No, I think those five are good. I just, you know, and again, it's kind of a weird balance between reality and knowing that, you know, some of these guys won't get in, but I feel like that would be my five if you told me, you know, that I can make the strongest case for. So that's kind of where I am. Now, you're going to talk about Jeff Kent because it's his last year on the ballot and you always talk about Jeff Kent. So go ahead and explain why he should be in. I did have Jeff Kent. Uh, as I, I wrote, Dan will have Jeff Kent. <laughs> uh, I have that written on my notebook. He is in his 10th year. He doesn't necessarily have the the greatest. I mean, he won an MVP, five-time All-Star, put up some really, really good numbers as a second baseman. He's a 290 lifetime hitter. There really aren't that many second basemen in the Hall of Fame sort of guys who are you know, and maybe there are some I'm not thinking of, but you just think of like Biggio, Morgan. Obviously, you go further back. You got Jackie Robinson. You got Rogers Hornsby. So it is a position that I feel like could use some more guys. Jay Jaffe, who's a sports writer who's done a lot of work on this, did a book, uh, and I've probably quoted this in previous years, called The Cooperstown Casebook. And he sort of makes the case for a lot of these guys. And I just want to see real quick where he has Kent 
ranked. All the other first year guys, I don't think there's anybody who really dis- merits any serious discussion. Baseball reference has one of those. What and I don't know exactly what this means, but they have like a thing called HOFM, which I guess is sort of like a cumulative number for like Hall of Fame qualifications or whatever. The top guy, other than Beltran and K Rod, who's a first year Hall of Fame uh, ballot guy, is Houston Street at 57, which places him right down with uh, Tory Hunter and Mark Burley. So I, 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 I don't think any of these other guys seriously deserve any kind of consideration on their first year. So Kent is the all-time leader in home runs for second baseman. So to me, I'm not going to say that's automatic, but I do feel like that warrants a much harder look than he's gotten. The best offensive player at at any position all-time, and now just because he's got the most home runs doesn't mean he's the best offensive player, but the guy with the most power at any offensive position, that's got to be the only position in baseball where the guy's not in the Hall of Fame. So I guess, you know, I don't know, maybe do you want to say that shouldn't be an automatic, especially at a position that is historically very sort of not emphasized on power? Maybe, maybe, but I don't know. He'd get my vote. With, again, he's another one of those guys, though. I'm not necessarily going to cry tears that Jeff Kent doesn't get into the Hall of Fame, but he'd get my vote. Yeah, and I think every year I kind of make fun of it, and then you make a you do make a good case for why he should. He's going into his last year. Last year he had 32 percent of the vote, so hard to imagine him making that jump. I know that's a different discussion, but um, yeah, I mean, honestly, you you make a, a, a every year. I kind of forget that it's a stronger case than I than I. Uh, give it credit for, but this is the last year we'll have to hear it because he'll either get in or he won't be on the ballot. So he's tracking at 49.4 right now. So I would say that there's a pretty, pretty good chance that he will not get in just to clear that up for anybody who doesn't know, starting a few years ago, guys have the option of making their ballots public. Some do a lot, do a lot. Don't. And it's pretty, um, like you mentioned before, there's a, Definitely a split, at least when it comes to the steroid guys of the people who make their ballots public tend to be younger, tend to be, you know, so the people who submit blank ballots or vote for one or two guys are usually the ones who don't make their ballots public. So that's why being at 40 or something is not necessarily, uh, I mean, even if you're at 60, it's, it's kind of long odds. So. And then the other two guys that I would mention are two outfielders, both of whom I've extolled the case for in the past. One is Andrew Jones. He of the 10 gold gloves and 434 career home runs. Not a lot of guys who aren't either active or steroid guys have that total home runs and are not in the hall of fame. So I put Andrew Jones in uh, Jay Jaffe is also very big on his case, but I not the only reason why I'm arguing for it, but I would, that is why I would go for Andrew Jones, that combination of offense and defense. And then I also do continue to sort of make a, a case, even if it is a half hearted case for Tory Hunter with his nine gold gloves and 353 career home runs, if I had to choose, I would definitely go Jones over Hunter. 
but I originally had put had put both of them down. I think, you know, you've kind of convinced me or just my own looking at this a little more has convinced me in a couple of different ways. So I'm going to make my final ballot. Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, Manny Ramirez, Carlos Beltran, Scott Rowland, and then K-Rod, which I think is pretty, pretty close to what you have. I can't get there with Helton, despite some of his great offensive numbers. So... That is my ballot, and how many is that that I have? I have Jones, Rodriguez, Kent, Ramirez, Beltran, Roland, and uh, K-Rod, the other Rodriguez. So I ended up with seven. You ended up with five. So we probably were a lot more forgiving and a lot more willing to vote for God than the writers have been. But I think we put together sort of uh, sort of ballots that you can make a really strong case for. Yeah, and, and none of the guys you mentioned, I'm like, oh, I absolutely wouldn't. Honestly, the one I feel the most strongly about is Manny, just because I I think, you know, if you're going to factor that in, you can't be selective about it. You need to put the guys who are in front of him. If they put Bonds and Clemens and whoever else in, I vote for Manny Ramirez next year. I know I know that's too late for that already, but I just <laughs> I, I got to. I got to establish some kind of pecking order to these things beyond just, well, you know what I mean? So, but I I agree that he should be in. So let's just go over a couple, two quick things before we break here. First of all, the tracker, like Andrew said, it for about 41% of the ballots have uh, right now been made public. Chances are you'll see some more made public in the, I don't know what the announcement I think is in like 10, 10 days. I don't know the exact, it's in late January, but I'll get this posted by the time before that happens. So you all are listening. Roland's tracking at 80.2, Todd Helton at 79.6, Billy Wagner, 72.8, Andrew Jones, 68.5, and then Sheffield, 64.2. And then everybody else is, is under 60%. So If we adhere to the sort of tradition that everybody tends to lose votes on the ballots once they're all counted versus what's been made public, it looks like nobody is getting in. I think probably there's a a chance for Roland, and I I do think that if he doesn't get in this time, he probably – has a chance. I think he's got – he is – Roland – Scott Roland's currently in his sixth year, so the guy's got – four more years of eligibility and Helton's got five more. So both those guys are trending in the right direction to get somewhere in the 70% neighborhood this time around. I'm surprised by how much Wagner's jumped and he's got two more years Mm. of eligibility. He was at, he was at 51 last time and he's probably looking to get somewhere in the high fifties to low sixties. And even Andrew Jones has jumped from uh, he was 41.4 last year and he's 68.5 and what's been made public. So he's probably going to move up into those high fifties as well. So it looks like probably none of these guys may be rolling, but probably, or at least possibly none of them get in this year, but there's a good chance that some of these guys do get in in future years. Yeah. I think Roland will get in this year. That makes sense. So you'd have sort of a, a two man duction of, McGriff and Scott Rowland. So this is fourth straight extra point. You know, I looked at the score a minute ago when I saw it was 18 to nothing. And I don't know if something screwy had happened. Is it 24 to nothing now? This they're up 24 to nothing, but this guy's missed four extra points. <laughs> Sorry. I just, 
they ought to be really glad they're up 24 to nothing because this guy's missed four straight extra points. Now they win the game now and they're going to play San Francisco. You got to cut the guy, right? I don't know. You got to bring in a different kicker. The guy can't make an extra point. <laughs> that's going to come back to bite yeah. you at some point, I would imagine. Eh, good. All right. Sorry. That's just. No, nah, we'll probably leave that in. That's, this that. is the Tampa Dallas Monday night. Um, the last game of wild card weekend. I'm sorry. Super wild card weekend. So, um, and Andrew and I are both very happy because the Giants won last night. So, all right. So we went to the Hall of Fame induction in Cooperstown. Uh, the two of us and then my wife, Allison, went. And it was, I think, seven people total got in. It was Ortiz from the writer's ballot. And then it was Jim Cott, Minnie Minoso. And Gil Hodges, all from the sort of like post nineteen fifty ballot. Antonio Oliva. Antonio Oliva. Yeah, I should remember him too because he was there. You know, he was there in person. And then you had um, two Negro League guys from the um, pre nineteen fifty time period, which were the Bud Fowler, who was a nineteenth century figure in baseball, and then the great uh, Buck O'Neill, who a lot of people probably know a lot about. In the wake of that the hall of fame has totally revamped their veterans committee structure. And so instead of it basically now being, I think it was three categories sort of pre 1950, 1950 to about 1990 and then everything post 1990, they've now done it so that they're going to rotate every three years between three categories. One is players since 1980. One is other figures since 1980. So that could be managers that could be executives, umpires, I guess, commissioners. And then everything else is everybody else. Pre 1980. I have no idea what the thinking behind this is because the two most underrepresented groups in the hall of fame are, or at least I shouldn't even say underrepresented the two groups where you can really mine some guys who were very, very, very good to great baseball players are there's still a number of 19th century guys. And I've been doing some work on the 19th century committee for Saber. So I've learned a lot about that. And then there are a lot of Negro league guys who still left are left to be discovered. So under this new system, these guys will get voted on more. They'll get voted on once every three years. But they're now competing with everybody from basically 125 years of baseball history. And then they've done the post-1980 ballot, which is not that big a deal. That's basically the same for those guys. But then an entire ballot every three years made up just of managers and umpires and and general managers from post-1980. I feel like that's going to be some really slim, slim pickings for that every third year. So, yeah, and, you know, they're going to end up putting guys in just because they have that. Yeah. And the other thing is, too, is that by by some point in the 2020s, they're going to revamp the whole thing for a sixth time or whatever it is. But it's just really strange. And I know part of it is probably that they want to get Negro League guys voted on more often. And I understand that. But. They're doing it in a way that in addition to sort of being illogical, I don't know if this necessarily is going to meet that goal. So the first of these committees met this year and the 
uh, it was made up sort of of a number of either existing Hall of Famers or historians. Um, here are the Hall of Famers that were on this uh, committee. Greg Maddox, Jack Morris, Ryan Sandberg, Lee Smith, Frank Thomas, and Alan Trammell. Those were the guys who were on the committee. And then you also had some executives, including Theo Epstein, and most of these other names are, are not necessarily household names. And then some, a couple of historians. Artie Moreno, the too. owner of the Angels. Okay, yeah, there's one. And and Kim Ng, Kim she's what? She's what the first general man, first female general manager in baseball history. She's with the Marlins, right? And Ken Williams is the White Sox GM for a really long time. I think he might still, or no, I'm an idiot. I was going to say, I think he might still be. He hasn't been for 10 years, but he was for 10 years. So here was the ballot. It was Rafael Palmero, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, Albert Bell, Dale Murphy, Kurt Schilling, Don Mattingly and Fred McGriff. And there were 16 members of the committee. Everybody could vote for at least four, up to four people. And you needed 12 votes to get in. And so there were going to be, now was it at least, it might've actually been at least, might've been, um, I think it was, a. am pretty sure, I'm 95% sure it was up to four guys. It might've been, it might have been only three, but I'm pretty, pretty sure it was four. Nonetheless, the only guy who got more than half the votes was Fred McGriff, who was voted in unanimously. Mattingly got eight. Schilling got seven. Dale Murphy got six. And then Bell, Bonds, Clemens, and Palmero all got less than four. They don't say what somebody got if they got less than four. Now, getting less than four is not necessarily a death knell because... A couple years ago, um, Gil Hodges uh, got less than four in one of the iterations of the Veterans Committee ballot, and then a couple years later made it in. And so same thing with Buck O'Neill. Buck O'Neill, they did this 2006 special committee to consider Negro League guys, and the president of the Hall of Fame was basically begging this committee to put Buck O'Neill in, and they elected you know, something like 20 Negro League figures from throughout the history of black baseball, but they wouldn't get there on Buck O'Neill. And then, you know, things change, whether it's externally, internally, who's voting. So it's not like none of these guys are ever going to maybe get in, but it's very clear that as currently constructed, the people making these decisions are even less inclined than the writers to let these steroid guys in. Yeah. I was going to say the other thing too, is remember they all waste or not wasted. Excuse me. They all allocated a vote to McGriff. So, now that he's in, you would see all those people. Most of them will have at least one more vote to play with. So you could see these things change. I actually ranked the eight of them based on how much I think they should be Hall of Famers. Why don't you go ahead with that? All right. I have Bonds one, Clemens two, McGriff three, and Dale Murphy four. And then oh. Mattingly, Bell, Schilling, Palmero. Now, I think the first thing that jumps out with me for that is that you you put Schilling that low, even though you were willing to vote for him on the writer's ballot the last couple of years. Yeah, but he wasn't in the same thing with all these. other. I mean, I, I spent a lot more time breaking them into the top four and the bottom four because mm -hmm. I kind of assumed those. But yeah, he was I was going based on who he was on those lists with. And so you had him, what, sixth? Uh, I am seventh, but I, I, you know, I, I could slide him a little bit, but let me just correct myself too. It is only three. So 
Oh, you can only vote for three. You can only vote for three. So there were 48 possible votes. And so if, if, if it broke just right, then theoretically you could have four guys get in. More likely you're only going to get two or three, and in this case, one. I wasn't as in love with the Hall of Fame candidacy of Fred McGriff. To me, it was kind of a, the thing where there was no reason why the writers would be prejudiced against him. And so the fact that the writers kind of didn't put him in for, I don't know whether he was a 10-year guy or a 15-year guy. He was probably 10 years by the time he was on the ballot. But the fact that he didn't get in for that, to me, that did mean something. It's like every guy voting for Fred McGriff. I mean, the guy was a damn good player. And again, I don't have any sort of like I said on the other side of things with some of these guys. But I don't necessarily feel like, oh, yeah, it's just a. It's just a no brainer that Fred McGriff belongs in the Hall of Fame. I just don't. I don't know. I just I was surprised at how overwhelming the support for him was. Yeah, I guess the one thing you have to look at with that is it doesn't mean that all 16 of them thought it was a no brainer. You know, they they might have all thought, hey, this guy belongs in the Hall of Fame. But you're right. I mean, it was certainly an overwhelming vote. Yeah. And so, I mean, Mattingly being second, I mean, there's a big difference between eight and 12, but I think Yankee fans have long thought that Mattingly's Hall of Fame candidacy was dead, and maybe it is, Mm. but you make a good point, though. I mean, unlike the other committees, especially the pre-1980 committee, the ballot for one year for that older committee could be completely different three years later. Because you could do a committee one year that's, you know, sort of six or seven Negro League guys. And then three years later, you could come back and do a do a ballot that's, you know, guys like Lefty O'Doul and Bill Dolan and, and guy, you know, overlook guys from the 19th century. You know, Dominic DiMaggio. There's so many, not to mention guys from the 60s and 70s like Dick Allen or Munson or Greg Nettles. So that ballot could look radically different from one vote to three years later it's hard to see this ballot being much different with the exception mm-hmm. maybe of some of these guys that fall off like the a-rods and the and those types of guys but all of these guys mattingly murphy they're all going to get another bite at the apple and if they're well liked and if guys don't if voters don't want to vote for steroid guys some of these former players or former executives or whatever we may resurrect the Hall of Fame career of of a Dale Murphy or a Don Mattingly. That their their case may be viewed differently in future years, and that's what I think may end up happening. It's definitely going to be very interesting to see what happens with that. But I think the the main message and Schilling. I mean, seven feels low, but if McGriff doesn't get a vote next time, and if things change, maybe a few members are different. You could see ceiling jump up from seven to 10 or 11 or 12. Again, it happened with Gil Hodges really, really quickly. So other than the fact that I think they sent a message on the steroid guys, I think that those other guys, Mattingly, Murphy, even Schilling, I think have a pretty good chance of potentially making it in on, on future ballots. They could put all those guys in, you know, outside of the steroid ones who are the ones who most deserve it, but We've had that discussion. Yeah, it, it was funny because you kind of had. I mean, I guess there were never any rumors about Albert Bell with steroids, but he kind of gets um, he kind of gets looped into that 
that whole thing. Mm-hmm. It was sort of it was sort of like half guys who everybody loves with McGriff, Murphy and Mattingly, all the M's, and then sort of half or, you know, a, a slight majority of guys who people have issues with shilling, which is a complete off the field thing. Bell, which is its own special case. And then uh, Palmero bonds and, and Clemens. Give me your order one more time. Cause I just want to want to think about that one more time. Bonds, Clemens, McGriff, Murphy, Mattingly, Bell, Schilling, Palmero. Like, like, yeah, I can basically, you know, I, you could quibble, but that's, that's not a bad, that's not a bad list. I would absolutely have Palmero eight. There's no question about that. So, Oh yeah. Well, I mean, when you you factor everything else in and so it'll be a lighter class in Cooperstown this year, it'll be a a different atmosphere. It's the second time since the 2020, 2020, they did no induction because of COVID that actually ended up working out perfectly for them because in 2021, nobody got elected. (laughs) So they would have had, they would have had a dark year, which they had another one of those like 15 years ago, I think, but they were able to sort of slide the 2021 class, the 2020 class up to 2021. And then they did that during the day. That was Jeter and Larry Walker and uh, a couple other guys. And then regular induction last weekend, regular induction this coming year. And so they're kind of back in the swing of things and it'll be, It'll be different because you won't necessarily have the guys who were as beloved or had kind of the um, the cultural importance, uh, whether it's um, historical or a guy like a, a Tony Oliva, who was very important to the the Latin American community. You won't have a guy like a Jim Cott who'd been waiting to get in forever and finally got in. And you won't have a Hodges with the family and everything. So there's a lot of things you won't have at this year's ceremony. You won't have a David Ortiz who was sort of a generational player for a franchise, but you know, McGriff's in, he's a good guy. You can be happy for him. And hopefully one or two of these other guys manages to, to, to eke their way in as well. So I think, uh, I think that covers it. This is our, our third year. It's kind of how we kick off the year. We always end the year with a memoriam every year and we, we, we kick it off with this. So, and, uh, you know, definitely if you can, at some point in your life uh, or many points in your life, make it to a, Make it to an induction because we had a blast last year going to it. Yeah, no, it was definitely a uh, a fun day. It was a long day. It was hot, but it was definitely uh, worth it to experience at least once. And I hope I get a chance to go back. We absolutely will. If Arnie keeps the press passes coming, we'll get there in future years. No question about it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all very much for joining us. First episode of the year. And uh, well, first episode recorded this year. I don't know what order these are all going to post in, but. Until we meet again on a totally different topic, I'm Dan Newman. And I'm Andrew Newman. Goodbye, old sports. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month 
for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time, as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.